When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. With those ominous words, Exodus chapter 32 begins. One Bible commentator calls Israel's worship of the golden calf the incredible sin. Incredible because of who committed it. Aaron, the high priest, and the Israelites, God's chosen people. Incredible because of where they committed it, at Mount Sinai, God's holy mountain. Incredible because of when they committed it, right after God had delivered them from Egypt. But what is truly incredible here is God's grace. We'd expect him just to destroy them all and start over. But instead, with the Lord there is unfailing love. That grace is what we will be focusing on in these next three chapters of Exodus and these next three podcasts. We'll begin with prayer. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me, died that I might live on high, lives that I might never die. As the branches to the vine, I am his, and he is mine. Strengthen me, O gracious Lord, by your spirit and your word. When my wayward heart would stray, keep me in the narrow way. Grace in time of need supply while I live and when I die. Amen. Continuing chapter 32, verse 2. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, This is your God, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is your God, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Could there be any more disappointing any more tragic words. The Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Now they were giving his glory to an inanimate object representing an Egyptian fertility god. This is your God, Israel. Some have pointed to Aaron's words, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord, to suggest that the people were imagining that they were worshiping the true God, just in another form. But a young bull, that is a calf, was an Egyptian god of sex and power. And if there were any doubt about what they were thinking, that doubt's removed when we hear how they worshipped this object. They ate and they drank and they indulged in revelry. And the Hebrew word used here for revelry refers to sexual acts. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul confirms that sexual immorality is indeed what was going on. Only in the most twisted minds would anyone say this was a festival to the Lord. But then a human mind is pretty twisted. We indulge our sinful appetites and then we seek to justify it, or at least minimize it. The Israelites wanted a God who could make them happy, and they wanted it now. They were saying, as for this Moses fellow, he's been gone over a month. We're not waiting around for him anymore. We want our happiness and we want it now. And Aaron, not much of a leader, he was happy to give them what they wanted. Professor Ernst Wendland writes in his commentary, No doubt the Israelites had often seen the wild celebrations in Egypt connected with the so-called worship of this calf god. This was just what the Israelites wanted. But this kind of pleasure, if it can be called that, is short-lived. The time of reckoning must come. In Israel's case, it came when Moses came down from the mountain, for God knew what was going on. And the next verses give his reaction. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, This is your God, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. The Lord describes his people as stiff-necked. They're like an animal that stubbornly refuses to be led in the way it should go. Normally our idols are not as crass as the Israelites, but they're just as dangerous. Our idols might be money or popularity or even a hobby. But because Satan himself is the spiritual reality behind these objects, they are deadly. We think that these things will bring us happiness and give it to us now. And so we put them in first place in our lives, even before the true God. We lose our patience with the Lord. And like stubborn cattle, we run wild. Or to use Isaiah's words, all we like sheep have gone astray. Earlier, the Lord had said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That is, he will not allow himself to be replaced by a rival. Not because he needs us, but because we need him. Without him, we die. Notice God no longer calls them my people. He says to Moses, your people. Then he simply calls them these people. He says to Moses, you brought them out of Egypt. The Lord has seemingly disowned them. Again, can anything be more heartbreaking. Instead of giving them the promised land, God says he now plans to destroy them on this mountain, to remove them from the face of the earth. Professor Lessing comments, If I were Moses, I'd wash my hands of the whole mess. But Moses won't do that. Moses couldn't do that. And in that way, Moses serves as a type of Christ. 
Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. With those words, the Lord was testing Moses. And as as is always the case with the Lord, his tests are not to see what we will do. He knows what we will do. His tests are always to strengthen our faith. And that's what he's doing here with Moses. He's He's strengthening Moses' faith. He puts the matter into Moses' hands, and Moses passes the test. Instead of abandoning his role as leader of this people, he he serves as a mediator between God and the people that he's serving. Verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against Your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Why should your anger burn against your people? Moses asks. Moses is reminding the Lord of his promises. They are your people. And what will the Egyptians say if you destroy the Israelites out here in the wilderness? Lord, think of your reputation. It's at stake here. And what about your promises to our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You took an oath to give this land to their descendants. And the Lord relented. Again, did the Lord know that Moses would plead for the people and that he, the Lord, would then relent? Yes. But God wants us to hold him to his promises, promises that he will always forgive us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that our perfect home, our promised land, is waiting for us. As Paul declares, all God's promises are yes in Christ. There's another beautiful truth here. We said Moses is serving as a type of Christ as he intercedes for the people. Psalm 106, verse 23, speaks to that. So the Lord said he would destroy the Israelites. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them? You see, the people's sin had separated them from their God. Moses stood in the breach, in the gap, and he reconciled the people to their God. He interceded for them. We have an even greater mediator in Jesus who stood in the gap between us and our God caused by our sin. He took that that gap away by removing our sin. And that one, that Jesus, now lives to make intercession for stiff-necked sinners like us. Verse 15. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make gods for us who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. You've probably come up with some pretty lame excuses in your day. I know I have. Excuses like, well, everyone else is doing it. Will you try putting up with him or her or them? I was planning on paying it back. Well, I I got busy and I lost track of time. Lame excuses. But Aaron's excuse has to be one of the lamest of all time. I threw the jewelry in the fire and out came this calf. Moses does not even respond. Even worse, and remember, Aaron too is a leader of God's people. Even worse, he throws the people under the bus. Don't be angry at me. You know how bad these people are. They're the ones to blame. Sadly, if you're like me, you can probably think of times when you did the same thing. You looked for someone else to blame. Someone on whom to shift the blame, the guilt, take the punishment for what you've done. Thankfully, we have someone who volunteers to take the blame, to accept our guilt and our punishment. It's Jesus who bore our sins on the cross and made satisfaction for them with his innocent suffering and death. Moses does not mess around here. If this corruption of the teaching of the true God, this corruption that mixes in a worship of a, of a calf, an Egyptian god of sex and power, and calls that the Lord, if that's allowed to stand, it will only lead more and more people away from the Lord and to eternal destruction. So Moses takes drastic action. He asked people to make a choice. Verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said to the Levites now, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, 
and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. This is one of those events that people point to and say they cannot believe in the God of the Old Testament, a God who, in their judgment, is harsh and vindictive. But remember... God is not some kind but weak old grandfather who only shakes his head at the misbehavior of his grandchildren and does nothing about it, hoping someday they will straighten out on their own. No. His faithful love is a powerful force, and he knows that to to disregard Israel's rebellion against his promise would only lead the nation away from him, and so the promise of a Savior would be lost. So for the sake of his people, he acts swiftly and decisively. The Levites acted courageously in disregarding even family ties to put an end to those who were intent on leading Israel away from their Savior. This chapter ends in a sad way. But I promised at the beginning of the podcast we would highlight God's grace. And we will. As we will see in the next two chapters, it is in the darkest of places that God's grace shines most brightly. I've quoted in this podcast from Reed Lessing's book, Deliver Us, and Ernst Wentland's volume in the People's Bible, Commentary on Exodus. Both of those books are great resources if you're looking to continue your study. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.